Today's episode of Something to Wrestle With is brought to you by SaveWithBruce.com. All right, who am I kidding? That's me. I want to help you save some money. And I'm talking to you. If you're a homeowner in a 30-year loan, if you've got a second mortgage, if you've got credit card debt, it's not a matter of if we can save you money. It really is a matter of how much. You see all that credit card debt you have? It's at a higher interest rate, and it's not tax deductible. The mortgage interest you pay, though, is tax deductible. So what I'm suggesting is let's get out of debt faster and do it with cheaper monthly payments. If you're in a 30-year loan, you need to think about what the end of your loan looks like. How old are you going to be when you pay it off? If you don't know the answer to that, you haven't done enough planning. Spend a couple minutes with us right now at SaveWithBruce.com. We'll get you a cheaper monthly payment, get rid of all your credit card debt, and more importantly, cut years off of your loan. You're talking about saving tens of thousands of dollars with just a couple of quick clicks at SaveWithBruce.com. And we're licensed in Alabama, Arkansas, Arizona, California, Colorado, DC, Florida, Idaho, Illinois, Iowa, Indiana, Kansas, Kentucky, Louisiana, Maryland, Michigan, Mississippi, Missouri, Montana, Nebraska, New Mexico, North Dakota, North Carolina, Ohio, Oklahoma, Pennsylvania, South Dakota, South Carolina, Tennessee, Texas, Utah, Virginia, and Washington. And we want to help you save money. We want to help you keep more of your own money. If you're already in debt, how you pay it back is up to you. If you could do it faster, cheaper, and smarter, why wouldn't you? Go to SaveWithBruce.com right now, and we're going to hook you up. You don't need perfect credit or money out of your pocket. And man, if we can't save you money, we won't waste your time. It's NMLS number 65084. We're an equal housing lender. But what you need to know is SaveWithBruce.com. Welcome to something to wrestle with. Bruce. Well, you know, that's not a rib. She pooted. She pooted. What a rib. No, you have a big There's no box of gimmicks. Rumor and innuendo. I don't deal in rumor and innuendo. Was he there? I was there. I don't give a shit. I ain't scared of shit. I ain't scared of shit. Fuck him. You, Bruce. Hey, it's Conrad Thompson, and you're listening to Something to Wrestle With. Bruce Pritchard coming to you live from Stamford, Connecticut. That's not a sentence I thought we'd ever say here on the program. How's it going, man? How are you? Oh, just wonderful. Couldn't be. There's no way to be better, Conrad. There is no way to be better. We're excited to be here with you today. Bruce is going to sound a little different because he is on the road, uh, but the show goes on. So just as we've promised, we're going to hit you with that new stuff every Friday at noon. And we appreciate you joining us on the ride. And today's ride is going to be all about WrestleMania 20. But before we talk about that, let's circle back to last week, stone cold, Steve Austin and his 1997. What was the feedback that you got, Bruce? Well, I think that that was the year that everybody realized that stone cold. Steve Austin was the next face of the company was the next, the man, if you will, to be the forefront, be the one that is going to have everything focused around him. It's where he came out and kind of was coming out party in many ways. It really was. It's the, uh, the first major year of stone cold, Steve Austin's career. Of course, just a handful of months after that, he's going to become the WWF world champion that's available in the archives. And what else is available are tickets to our last non-starcast live show. Uh, we had a blast this past weekend. 
when we made a, a little tour of both Indiana uh, and uh, I've never been there before. Cleveland, a couple of really, really fun shows. Uh, I hope you had just as much fun as I did, Bruce, and we're going to keep the fun going. Of course, next week, you're going to be in Australia. Probably the last time you get to see Bruce there. Go pick up your tickets right now. Only a handful remain at brucepritchard.com. And then WrestleMania weekend. The Monday after WrestleMania is the biggest Monday Night Raw of the year. And right after that show, you'll be able to take just a few steps right there in Brooklyn and see Bruce Pritchard and JR on stage, probably for the last time. I think everybody knows that JR's contract comes to an end at the end of March. He's been pretty public about that. And now with uh, Bruce being back on the pirate ship, baby, we don't know when this will happen again. Tickets are on sale now at brucepritchard.com. Are you looking fun to uh, having some fun with JR there in Brooklyn? I am. I always have fun with JR, so it should be a unique opportunity right after WrestleMania, right after the first and craziest Monday Night Raw of the year. Um, yeah, I'm looking to have a lot of fun. Well, let's talk about how we can have some fun today. Uh, we're done with our plugs for the day. It's going to be all about WrestleMania 20. Uh, I'm pretty excited about this one. We've covered, you know, how we got here very recently with the No Way Out show and, of course, the Royal Rumble. Uh, we, we covered that Royal Rumble as being arguably the most underrated and one of the best ever. No Way Out was a very emotional show because we talked about the rise of Eddie Guerrero and just how special that was to you. And now here we are WrestleMania 20 and what a historic show it was. Of course, the original show WrestleMania was at Madison square garden, WrestleMania 10 back in Madison square garden. So of course for WrestleMania 20, we're back in Madison square garden again in New York city It's March 14th, 2004 draws a sellout of 18,500 fans. It does around 825,000 buys on pay-per-view really, really a special show. Was there ever any, any other building considered for WrestleMania 20 or did it just feel like a no brainer? Since one and 10 were there, 20 has got to be there for, I think for a lot of us, there was no other building. There was talk of doing stadium shows because we, we were moving in that direction. So the thought was, well, you know, come on, we're, we're getting bigger. It, it's great that you did one there. It's great that you did 10 there, but now the business is such that doesn't deserve a, a stadium show. And Vince felt that the uniqueness of Madison Square Garden, the, the specialness of Madison Square Garden, where it all started for this particular anniversary that we had to go back. I know you weren't there, but why do you think they moved away for WrestleMania 30? They didn't go back to Madison Square Garden. Instead, they do it at the Dome in New Orleans. Uh, depending on who you believe Hulk Hogan or others, it was the silver dome or the super dome. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> chat me up though. What? I think it was all of those things. That it night. was that day. Yeah. It was all those brother. Uh, why do you think, you know, is the money just too large? Is it too, are you leaving too much on the table at this point to run an 18,000 seater for WrestleMania? I don't know because it's New York and you can, First of all, you can command larger prices for the arena. It makes it a much hotter ticket. It's so much. I think people would pay triple the price to be there, to be in that intimate setting in an arena versus being able to pay $25 and, and sit in the stadium. So it was it was New York. It was 20, and it's, it's where we were at the time. Now I think it's reached the point where it's got to be a stadium, and it's got to be huge. 
that's just the feel. You want as many people as you can to experience that experience live. Let's talk a little bit about the company news and notes at the time here around WrestleMania 20. Wade Keller would report that the latest round of quarterly financial statements would reveal that the company found a way to increase profitability. Even when revenues were down, he talks about how the revenue was down from 79.1 million or down to there from 92.6. So quite a tumble from 92 to 79, but at the same time, they're more profitable. Uh, pay-per-view numbers are down as well. You're only doing 13.2 million that quarter compared to the prior year, which was 21. Point two. So again, major, major tumble. And even live events are down 27%. Talk to me a little bit about um the change in the business from 03 to 04 because television revenues down from 17 and a half to eleven, pay-per-views down, live events are down. What are you guys contributing that to? How much of that, in your opinion, not fact, but just your opinion, is based on the elimination of competition and how much of it is just the ebbs and flows of a quote unquote cyclical business. Well, it also had a lot to do with, we lost the rock. We lost, uh, you know, no, we got rock back for the show, but overall we had lost the rock. We had lost Steve to be able to compete on a full-time basis. So change was in the air. This was a, one of those moments where you take, you know, two steps back to take three forward. So we, we knew it going in that it was a rebuilding process. And we knew that going through all of this, we were going to take a, a little bit of a tumble, but you had to have these growing pains to get to the next level. Are, is anybody panicked? I mean, is, no. is, is Vince just no? does Vince know because he's seen this with Hogan and others that, you know, goddamn pal, pick yourself up, dust yourself off. We'll be fine. Yeah, it was calculated. We we knew exactly what we were doing, and we knew that we would take a hit in doing it. We knew that by the way that we were booking at that point and the way that everything was business-wise, that yes, we were going to take a hit. We had lost two of our biggest stars. There was change in the air. It was It was becoming a different business. So by that token, you you go, okay, we're going to ride through this, and we're going to come out on the other side. Well, one of the other things that makes the news here is, uh, there's a, there's a write-off of course, from shutting down the New York restaurant. We've talked about this before. Uh, how big of a pain in the ass was that New York restaurant? Well, to the, <laughs> to those of us on the creative team, it was a huge pain in the ass, um, because we used to have to go and do live Sunday night heats there, but the, the restaurant was, had become a drain on the company. And I don't think that it was put together run really well at that time. So while it was nice to have, and it was a great vanity project, I think to be able to say, Hey, we had a restaurant in times square, Manhattan, pretty cool for a few years. But when you are not making money out of that, it's time to cut bait. Well, speaking of cutting bait, Goldberg is doing just that. Wade Keller would report that Goldberg is working just one more date with WWE, that being WrestleMania 20. Wade would write, he won't be brought back on TV, barring a change in plans until WrestleMania 20. WWE did have discussions with Goldberg about a new contract, but no offer was made and the talks never got serious. 
A well-placed source says WWE officials asked Goldberg if he'd be willing to do some future shots with the company once his contract expires. And Goldberg was very forward with WWE and letting them know that he won't talk generalities. He'll only talk specifics. In other words, Goldberg wants WWE to approach him with an actual offer. The relationship between Goldberg and the office is still said to be strained and sources say there is very little chance WWE will offer Goldberg anything more than a special appearances deal and even less of a chance that Goldberg would accept anything more than that. WWE is interested in booking Goldberg for their tour of Japan. And if they offer him enough money for that tour and other special appearances, he would likely accept chat me up here. What's the tone and tenor of the talks with Goldberg in this era? Were you guys sort of done with the Goldberg experiment? Was he sort of done with you guys? What do you remember about this time? We went into it knowing that we only had a year as we discussed in the Goldberg episode available in the archives that all right, he's, he's going to come in for a year. We would have liked for him to commit to more than that so that we could do more with him and be able to get a return on that investment. However, as we got into it, it was clear, I think, on, on all sides. Goldberg didn't really have any interest in being on the road and being a part of the company for any longer than what his contractual deal was, and that was for that one year. So he was approached, he was asked midway through, and you've got to know a lot, a lot sooner than, you know, a few weeks before the show, are you in, are you going to stay? Uh, and Bill showed no interest. He, he wasn't interested in saying, so we moved on and it's time to, okay, you can get what you can out of him. And then we had the same situation with Brock and you get what you can get the most return on your investment and move on. It's funny that you bring up uh, Brock because that's the next place I was going here in our show today. Wade would report that his purchase of a $400,000 jet for business travel was still a hot topic in locker rooms for both raw and SmackDown. And he's spending his own money on the jet, but apparently that's not good enough for a lot of the boys. He's quoting Wade pronouns, pal is quoting guys saying, who the fuck is he to buy a plane? Flair never had a plane. Austin never had a plane. Undertaker doesn't have a plane, but this punk has one. Another would say he did the worst thing you can do in wrestling. He individualized himself, which is instant locker room heat. And of course, a lot of the guys are questioning, Hey, how can he even afford to do this? Since payoffs are down so much from lower houses. And we just covered at the top of the show, revenue being down. Do, do you remember that being a hot topic and maybe a faux pas on Brock's part. I remember it being a topic conversation amongst people that he had a plane, but at the same time here, Brock, you know, went on Brock did what he wanted to do. Brock still does whatever Brock wants to do. So for Brock to go out and do that, it made his life easier and it wasn't costing the talent, the company or anybody else, any more money. So if he's happy to go do that, go do it. No one was stopping anyone else from getting a plane or getting a bus or doing whatever else they wanted to do. So a lot of times that's just jealousy and people stirring up things for petty reasons to have something to talk about and bitch about. Somebody would tell Wade talking about Brock. He's not a team player at all. No one likes him. He's a jackass. He's not very social. He's not one of the boys. 
how you see him on TV is pretty much how he is in real life. And Wade even details that he's done some things to alienate himself beyond just flying private to house shows, but he expressed, he was pretty vocal about his displeasure of being booked against hardcore Holly on a South African tour, feeling like he should have been headlining and against a bigger name. Wade would also cite a source who would say the relationship with Lesnar and McMahon at the time could be categorized as strained and that he probably needed to take some time off quote. When you're in a meeting and someone says he'll kill everyone in the room, you know, that person is on the verge of snapping. And the context of that conversation is when Vince was addressing everyone about the leaks to the internet sites. And of course, Brock tried to toe the line and said he would kill everyone in the room. What do you remember about the relationship at this point with Brock and McMahon? And do you think he really just probably needed a break at this point? He was just burnt out. Well, I do think that he probably needed a break. However, at the same time, he was young. We were hoping to go with him at the time and do something with him. So you want to capitalize on that and make, you know, make hay while the sunshine. So with him, it was, what are you going to do? And then when he decided he wanted to go on and play football, it's okay. You just move on. You can't do a whole lot. If people don't, if, if people don't like you and they're jealous of you and you're happy, who cares? Um, I don't, Brock was participating. Brock was doing what he was asked to do. And he is, he is an individual. He is a very unique individual. So didn't like to hang out with guys. Didn't like to travel the same way. Okay. Travel some other way. It doesn't affect that. That's what gets me. It doesn't affect anybody else on the roster. It doesn't affect their life. Didn't affect my life. Okay, great. Go do that. I don't care because it's not affecting my, my job. It's not affecting how I get paid or anybody else. As long as you're working on time, you do what you're asked to do. Bonus. Good for you. I'm happy. So check this out. What a tale of, of two guys here where people are down on Goldberg. People are down on Lesnar, according to the sources calling the torch, but Wade would say Eddie represents this company. So well, says one colleague, he's great. Houses are up. We had two sellouts recently, something that didn't happen when Brock was headlining as champion. People are chanting Eddie's name before shows. He's a phenomenal champion for us. If anyone deserves success, it's him. He eats, talks and sits with us. He's one of the boys is that has there ever been, I mean, I know that I'm making a very general statement here, but the way sort of everybody in the locker room feels like Brock alienates himself and he's the big dog and he's better than, and how much of that is true or just perception or whatever. Maybe perception is just not very good for him amongst the colleagues, the boys in the back, as they like to say, but it is the total opposite for Eddie Guerrero here. Is it not? Well, yeah. And Eddie also is one of those guys is very personal. Eddie's whole life has been wrestling from the time he came out of the womb. Eddie was wrestling. So he loved the business, different person and, and it's different people. And that's what makes the world go round is different people. But Eddie, that was the only life that Eddie Guerrero knew. So he, he loved it and that's how he lived his life. And you don't have to like someone that you work with. However, Eddie was willing to, to do any and everything. Eddie had a had a mission and Eddie had 
that feeling of I've got to succeed. And he never thought he would be in the position to be the man. So when he got it, he really appreciated it and didn't want to see it go by the wayside. One of the things we've, we've never really talked about here on the show, but I know off air you and I, with a friend of ours have made jokes about is, uh, your great close personal friend, Mr. Billy Kidman. And apparently at this time, Wade would write that he had, um, a little bit of an issue with some, some of the locker room, but maybe things had gotten better since he was now married to Tori Wilson, as random as that sounds. He would say that some attributed the change in Kidman to him being more comfortable with his relationship. And, but he would also report that there is a little bit of heat on Tori at this point, because the general feeling is her second playboy appearance had gone to her head. And some of that comes out. That's bullshit. I think a a little bit of this is reported as being blowback from her, not liking something that was happening at a SmackDown house show. So she went over the agent's head and contacted Johnny ACE about a problem she had with the way her match was scripted. And he even writes, this is in the torch. It's also worth noting that Tori has made it clear to everyone in the locker room that she will quit. If Kidman is released from his contract. We've never really talked about this Kidman Tory thing. What's the nature of the relationship with everybody else? How's the office feeling about them? What can you tell us about Kidman and Tory here? God, I, I couldn't tell you that much other than I know that they were married and they weren't that from my vantage point, that relationship never affected anything that I had in dealing with either one of those guys. But I will say this, as far as Tory Wilson goes, I can't think of someone who was nicer, easier to deal with and a true professional in every sense of the word. She wasn't a wrestler coming in, but yet she did the best that she could do to fulfill whatever we had asked her to do at the time. It was like, Hey, Tori, we need you to learn how to take a bump and go out and do this. She did it. She put the time in to learn, even though that was never her job description at WCW or when we brought her in, it was like, okay, we may do some things. If we do, we'll train you and try and help you out. But as far as having a big head and being, I never witnessed that. I, I mean, she, I, she's one of those that like, she's too sweet. She's too nice. I, I never, ever, ever witnessed that with Tori. And that to me, that, that was probably just coming from someone jealous of the situation and of her position and getting the playboy thing. And listen, it's something that we joke about, but, uh, a lot of the guys enjoyed ribbing Kidman because his wife was so beautiful. Fair to say overachieving son of a bitch. I mean, one of our great friends says I fucking hate him and just goes on this great <laughs> promo, but it's in a funny tongue in cheek, funny, ha ha way yeah. and, and not, not in this mean spirited. Um, I really don't like you. It's, uh, you know. Damn it. How in the world does somebody like you wind up with somebody like that? Sort of funny, ha ha thing. Yeah. It's more of a head scratcher. Well, here's a head scratcher for you. This is something that I didn't even know until I started doing research here. Wade Keller would report. It should be noted that much of the $5 million advertising budget for WrestleMania 20. Wow. That's a big budget is being spent on time Warner entities as part of the WCW purchase agreements. One of the reasons WCW was sold for scraps was for bookkeeping, bookkeeping purposes, 
but millions of dollars of future required ad buys by WWE were written into the agreement to pad time Warner's books for the upcoming years. WWE is simply choosing to spend millions of dollars worth of the required ad buys for WrestleMania 20, rather than spreading it out during other months, which I guess is smart. And obviously it paid off. You guys do a good buy rate for this over 800,000 buys. Do you remember that being part of the deal? Because I'll be honest, I had no idea that you guys were contracted to purchase ads on Turner properties as part of that WCW buyout. Well, I have no idea if it was, but I could certainly see time Warner on the other side saying, please take this brand off of our hands for X amount of dollars. And we'll give you all this advertising on the other side. I could see it working that way. Yeah. But otherwise they're just buying advertising that he would normally buy for WrestleMania. Keller would say as part of that sale agreement for the WWE to buy WCW, the company agreed to purchase $20 million in advertising on AOL slash time Warner properties over a 5 million or over a five year period. So I think that part is sort of burying the lead because we always hear the tiny number that was exchanged up front, allegedly 2 million bucks. But the idea that there's another 20 million in ad revenue, which the company may have spent some of that anyway. Uh, doesn't make it nearly as bad of a deal. Wade would write a source reports that WWE was not obligated to spend 4 million per year. It just simply had to spend 20 million over the duration of five years. And WWE officials spent less than 4 million, uh, advertising last year and thus increased the advertising budget this year to 5 million. Obviously this big of a spend has a lot of people in the advertising industry talking, uh, but some people are taking issue with, well, they're only doing it because they're obligated to, which to me. Who cares? Um, Conrad, if you, if you, if you were to go buy, buy something and somebody said to you, Hey, we're going to give you a great deal over the next five years for X amount of advertising. And it will be a quarter or an eighth of what you would spend elsewhere. And you take this other property off of our hands up front here. That's a great deal. No, no. I think people miss that part. It's like, oh, they paid this. Well, sure they did because they probably got $20 million for 5 million. Yeah. That's what, that's, what's not discussed here is what was the rack rate. So I I do buy advertising from a mortgage company all the time and I'll see a published rack rate and then I negotiate it and I say, oh no, well, I need to get it for this. Well, if it gets low enough, then yeah, Hey, you do it. And if it's, if it's a gangbuster deal, then you do it long-term and for you to have a $20 million commitment spread out over five years. Uh, that probably was done at a discounted rate. I mean, what you're saying is, is on the money. You don't agree and earmark that amount of cash without getting some sort of a gangbuster deal. Yeah. Let's keep going. Uh, the Shawn Michaels injury has now been diagnosed as a torn ACL, according to Wade Keller. And, um, he's going to have to have surgery after WrestleMania sometime. Uh, but obviously he's going to get through the match. I don't think that I even remember when I think about that match that we're going to talk about here in a minute at WrestleMania 20, that he's doing all of this with a torn ACL. It's pretty incredible. Is it not? Yeah. Well, you know, it it is incredible. It's, It's kind of crazy too, but it was, it wasn't that bad that he needed to have it done immediately. It was one of those. Okay. This thing is torn. If I do any more damage to it, uh, it's going to completely go, but he had it protected and felt that he he could definitely go on and, and get through what he needed to get through. Did you have a backup plan in case he wasn't able to, uh, make it happen? 
Not that I can remember. I mean, you always have backup plans for, for other matches and other things, but you know, some things you, you go with and you put your focus on what you want and what, what you know you can deliver at that time. And if there was a chance that you're going to get it in the ring, you focus on it, make it happen. Let me ask this. The February 23rd raw has you guys sort of teasing and even outwardly pushing and promoting a Vince McMahon, Eric Bischoff match. And there's a video where Bischoff made for nitro challenging Vince to a fight that aired. And then Austin brags to Bischoff about airing it. And then he convinces Bischoff if he had a chance against Vince, Vince hears it and vows to beat him up later. And then later in the show, Vince fought Eric to a no contest and Brock gave Austin an F5 from behind. And then Vince announces the match that Austin would be the referee in would be Goldberg versus Lesnar. This feels like at one point, if you're doing it in late February, it could have been at least discussed. Was it ever considered a Vince McMahon versus Eric Bischoff WrestleMania match? No, but we, I, before we brought Eric in for the first two years after purchasing WCW, that match was pitched. So there were so many times that we would say, hey, what about Eric Bischoff and Vince? And, and Vince didn't feel it. He didn't think that that was anything anyone wanted to see. And it was over. It was done. No, nobody cares. Um, so that took a little while. You know, it took a little while to convince him to bring Eric in at all. But once we had him, it was kind of like stinging undertakers. It was just too late. Nobody cared. All right. Let's take a timeout right now to remind everybody that the biggest wrestling weekend of the year is finally upon us. It's New York city, April 3rd through April 7th. And if you can't get there, man, fight TV has you hooked up. They're going to be streaming 20 live wrestling events, including the ring of honor and new Japan G one Supercard from a sold out Madison square garden. Impact Wrestling's United We Stand, WrestlePro, the WrestleCon Super Show, the WWN Super Show, House of Glory, and more. For a limited time only, the Fight Fest package that has over a $280 value is available for only $119.99. That's right, $119.99, and boom, you're in 20 shows, man. Take advantage of this super deal right now. Go to fight.tv or do what I do. Download the Fight app in your app store and take advantage of this unbelievable offer. One more time, it's the Fight Fest package. You get 20 live events for one low price. It's valued at over 280 bucks. You can get it for less than 120 bucks. Make it happen right now at fight.tv or download the Fight app in the App Store. And don't forget, Fight is F-I-T-E. That's F-I-T-E dot TV or download the Fight app. You're going to love it. Uh, let's talk a little bit about, uh, the, the fallout from the super bowl performance. This is where Janet Jackson famously had the wardrobe malfunction where her nipple was exposed. Wade Kelly would write that both WWE and TNA have made a conscious effort to tone down their product on the heels of the super bowl, because that controversy got so big, so fast. And you even toned down some of John Cena's act a little bit. Talk to us about what repercussions you remember the company feeling as a fallout from Janet Jackson's quote unquote wardrobe malfunction. 
Well, the, the, the police were out as far as the FCC, and they were looking at every program and anything that might be questionable that could slip through. Here you, you have on broadcast television a nipple come out in a live presentation. We were live a lot of the time. So Monday Night Raw was live, SmackDown was taped, but they were they were looking at that, thinking that, okay, who's going to try and capitalize on this Janet Jackson thing and try to do something similar? I think that they looked at our programming and felt that it was edgy anyway. So let's let's make sure that these guys don't go too far. So we went the other way with it. We we did. We reined it in and we pulled back to let them know that we're not going to get close to that. We're we're going to be good, and you don't need to look over our shoulder. We've we've got it under control ourselves. Let's uh, let's talk about the USA Today story. Uh, Wade would write with USA Today working on a major story on the death rate of pro wrestlers, scheduled to be published just two days before WrestleMania. WWE doesn't want to add any fuel to the fire, and that's how we got in to talking about how you guys were toning down the product. Do you remember this USA Today story? I mean, how did you guys first hear about it? Because for Wade to talk about it, it feels like you guys would have known about it before it was published as well. I honestly, I really don't know. There, there have been so many people that have published those type of stories, and it's always interesting to me when they they talk about all oh, all of these young deaths, and then they they list. Uh, guys that are 84 years old who passed natural causes or someone getting hit in a uh, car crash or just crazy things like that. And they say, that's all because of pro wrestling that he was in a car crash. Um, so, you know, the mortality and mortality rate, whatever is something that has people trying to examine why what's what is it what, what's making all of this happen they're human beings and it was an organization that when you looked at it and so much of the time there were so few that died on our watch that it's not it's just not fair to paint everybody with that brush and it's not fair to when you look at football players and football players who have unfortunately early deaths after they leave football or what have you, they don't paint NFL with that same brush. At least they didn't at the time. And I think that might've changed, but I just think sometimes they need to be a little more responsible in their reporting and to what they do and how they do it. Let's talk a little bit about, um, and I don't know, uh, when we'll talk about this piece of the puzzle again, but it's how you guys sort of changed your recruiting and adoption methods. The February 25th edition of the New York times would have a story about the success of Kurt Angle, Brock Lesnar, and Shelton Benjamin, because you guys had started to recruit from the amateur wrestling world. And they even quote Jim Ross here saying, effectively, there's two different routes you can go to get to the company. Uh, one is the amateur wrestling route and one is the football route quote. What we do is not easy. The travel's not easy. The physicality is not easy. Working through injuries is not easy. And what you find is the guys who have already done that through amateur wrestling or football, they know what it's like. And they talk about how you guys started to develop relationships with collegiate wrestling coaches and you're tracking players who might not be drafted by the NFL 
and players who've recently been cut by the NFL, who may have the aptitude or enthusiasm that would fit a pro wrestling career. Are those JR? Is that something that JR had as a brainchild or who, who first comes up with, Hey, let's just start looking here. Well, Vince was big on, he wanted athletes. Vince wanted athletes with an aptitude that could learn the business and you, you take, yeah. And, and so often in the NFL, you get kids straight out of college. Their one hope is to play in the NFL. They don't make it. A lot of them don't know what to do next. This was an alternative for them. This was something to say, all right, you've got the athletic ability. You have the skill. Is this something you would like to do? Um, Jerry Briscoe being out on the amateur wrestling circuit was something that Jerry did and Jerry loved and knew very well. A lot of the amateur wrestlers, greatest athletes in the world, in my opinion, but some of them didn't have the aptitude to make the transition from amateur to pro. All right, well, let's move on to uh, March 1st here. This is when Steve Austin rides an ATV to the ring. Um, he talks about Brock Lesnar attacking him last week and Vince McMahon interrupts him and said, he didn't do it. Maybe Eric Bischoff did. And McMahon insults Austin's ATV. So he chases him to the back drives into his limo and the camera shows McMahon screaming inside. This feels like a, a bit of paint by numbers. It's almost formulaic television at this point. Let's put Steve on something with wheels and let him run over something or run into something. Uh, is this, is this something Vince really, really enjoyed booking or, or who who's always campaigning for Steve to drive something into or over something? It was cool when Steve came out in something and was destructive. So I don't know if, I think it was Steve's idea about the four wheelers and, you know, I damn, if I came down and had a four wheeler and then we got somebody to sponsor some four wheelers for us put it on the truck, man. And, and just made it a part of it. That was, that was true to the stone cold character. That was something that Steve loved to do. And the audience loved it. Every time you heard that, rah, 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 it's like, all right, shit's going on. And that son bitch would fly down the, that ramp. Sometimes I just don't know how the hell he made the turns that he made, but it was, it was a lot of fun. It was just a way to keep that character alive and true to the character. It was fun. I mean, even if you didn't get to see him wrestle, you still got to see him entertain you and have fun. And he probably enjoyed not taking bumps as well. So, uh, later, yeah, in this, no kidding. later in that same show, uh, Batiste and Randy Orton beat Shawn Michaels and Chris Benoit in 19 minutes and four seconds. When Orton rolls up Shawn Michaels and Sean and Benoit kept mistakenly hitting each other. And then they fight afterwards. And then Hunter and the rest of evolution attack them. And the show ends with evolution in the ring and Foley comes out and introduces the rock as his partner at WrestleMania. So rock runs to the ring and he and Foley beat up evolution. And this is a big moment because rock was really getting his movie career kicked into high gear here. Uh, but it had been rumored for a few months that he'd return at WrestleMania. What do you remember the negotiations being like to get the rock back here? I think, you know, it was more of Vince had an idea. He wanted rock at WrestleMania. Also, I think Rock wanted to be at WrestleMania. The biggest issues and, and, if you will, controversy was at the time, Rock, his movie career was really starting to take off. He was doing more and more things. 
And some of the folks in Hollywood were in Rock's ear saying, ah, you got to get away from that wrestling stuff, man. It's going to kill your career. You know, if you do that, you'll never have a, you'll never have a big career. So he was listening to that, but Rock's first love was always wrestling and that's what he wanted to do. So he, he was trying to appease both sides of the coin. Uh, we, we had him there, but it became, it became difficult to get him for dates because he was working us into a schedule and it was something he really wanted to do. It was something Vince really wanted to do. It wasn't a big negotiation. It was just more of a coordination, trying to coordinate everything that he had in his schedule and be able to get him from filming a movie on the set, get him to us to do TV and then vice versa. Bret Hart would uh, write a lot in his uh, column in the Calgary sign. And on the March 6th edition of the newspaper, he would run through his WrestleMania matches throughout his career, but he doesn't discuss WrestleMania 20, uh, other than to say that he and McMahon had discussed him appearing at WrestleMania 20 recently, but he didn't feel he was ready to appear on camera. And, uh, obviously he had some other reservations. How close to, uh, fruition was that Bret Hart showing back up at WrestleMania 20? I think it was just discussion and it never really got past that. It would have been great to have Bret Bret there. Bret was a big part of WrestleMania 10. It would have been nice to have him in some form on that show, but it never really got past the discussion point. I don't think Bret felt um, that he could deliver in a physical, in a physical way. Well, somebody who was delivering is Eddie Guerrero on the March 4th edition of SmackDown to close the show, Paul Heyman and Eddie go to a no contest. Heyman would retreat early after some kicks by Guerrero. So then angle comes out and beats up Guerrero. Eddie would spit in angles face and then angle hits him and holds the belt in the air. And we're, we're prime for WrestleMania. Now we've talked a lot about your feelings on Eddie and what a, what a big moment it was for him to win that world title at no way out between no way out and WrestleMania is Vince feeling pretty confident about his decision to put the championship on Eddie's waist. Yeah, he really did. Eddie, Eddie was a project that he felt, um, putting the championship on Eddie would make Eddie take him to the next level. And he was ready to get to the next level. So for Eddie Guerrero, while I'll also argue as much as he needed the championship here, he didn't need the championship after this. Because now he, he had been to the top of the mountain. There was nobody ever going to knock him off. So he, he really didn't need the championship for that long. He just needed to get that, that little sprinkle of dust there and move on forward from that. Let's talk about WrestleMania 20. The show opens with a boys choir singing America, the beautiful and a shot of Vince McMahon airs with a brief narration talking about 20 years ago. He, he began a tradition that changed our world. And then a montage of WWE wrestlers airs where they talk about the WrestleMania 20 and the importance of it. And the narrator closes with it all begins again tonight. And they go to a brief shot of Vince Shane and Shane's new son, his baby smiling together. And that's the first appearance of the fourth generation McMahon on television. What do you remember about this opening video? 
the boys choir, just this opening montage, because, uh, it's one people still talk about today, especially with, you know, Vince and Shane and Shane's son. And of course, Shane being back on TV now, and there's always whispers about what's going on in that family. So to sort of peek behind the curtain and see his son like this and Vince as a grandfather, kind of a big deal. Oh yeah, definitely. And it was, well, it was Harlem boys choir, which they were excellent. And it was just a good feeling for New York city and, and the overall feeling of WrestleMania 20, the, the deal with the McMahon family at the end, I just thought was, was cool as hell because it shows you how many generations and now here's the next generation that's it's like Superman in the in the egg type thing. And I just thought it was really cool and emotional. And one of those moments that probably would only be done that one time, but you got it. And those that got it and understood it, it meant an awful lot to them. All right, we need to take a timeout right here, right now, Bruce, because I've got to tell everybody where we're going to be next weekend. No, I know you're going to be in Australia, but I'm not. I'm going to be in Chicago at C2E2 After Dark. Tickets are on sale right now. You'll get to see Tony Schiavone, Eric Bischoff, and myself all on stage, really for the first time ever. And it's happening at the South Building at McCormick Place right there in Chicago. Tickets are on sale now at 83whw.com. That's the number eight, the number three, whw.com. Now they're just 39 bucks and you don't want to miss it. It's an eight o'clock start. You don't need a ticket to C2E2. This is a separately ticketed event and tickets are on sale now at 83whw.com. And I'm fired up about this because these guys don't necessarily love each other. And, uh, I'm just, I'm the first listener sometimes, man, this is going to be a lot of fun. I do want to mention too, we've got a VIP option where you can bring in some items you'd like for the guys to sign. You get your picture made with everybody. You get an autograph tape by 10. We've got some custom swag for you. It's going to be a blast. It's WHW and 83 weeks together for the very first time. Tickets are on sale now. 83whw.com Chicago next weekend, next Friday night, March 22nd at eight o'clock at the South building of McCormick place. 83whw.com has your tickets. Well, let's get into the matches, man. You got to start with a big bang here. Uh, literally you've got uh, John Cena and the big show working for the United States championship. They go nine minutes and 13 seconds. It got a star and a half. It really makes John Cena. He becomes the U S champion here. What'd you think? I thought it was a solid opener. And again, it's all about story. And the story was, you know, big show, the big bully and the furthering of that John Cena legacy and, and what is going to be next for him. So this was a big WrestleMania moment. If you're going to win it and win it at WrestleMania, that's a huge deal. So it was another step in the story. And I thought it was a really good one, uh, from that point, as far as storytelling match and match is going to be what it is, but the story I thought was good. The way that they got there and, this is John's rapping days too. And having fun with that. Yeah. He, uh, he opens up by rapping that he's going to beat big show like a penis with an STD and, uh, New York is solidly behind him. They're booing big show chanting big show sucks. Uh, every offensive maneuver that Cena musters up gets a big cheer. Eventually he, um, hits big show with the FU and big show kicks out. And Michael Cole would say he's the first person to do so. 
Cena grabs the chain. Ref makes him give it up. So he throws it in the corner while the ref is retrieving the chain. Cena then pulls out some brass knocks and knocks out big show hits another FU and there's the win. big baby face reaction, getting into it with the crowd. Uh, it's a cool moment. And we've covered this uh, before on our John Cena episode, which is on the network, something else to wrestle with Bruce Pritchard. Next up, we see coach in the back, walk past Johnny Stamboli and Tom Pritchard. And he says hi to them. And then he sees Teddy long and gives him a hug and goes into Eric's Bis- Eric Bischoff's office where Johnny blaze was chatting with Bischoff and Bischoff asked coach to go find undertaker and coach is nervous to do so. These little skits inside of a WrestleMania, are you for it or against it? I'm for it because it's a story and it's a, it's a thread that goes through the pay-per-view much like it does the television show. So anytime that you can get people more interested in the show and make them think what the hell is going to happen next, even on a pay-per-view, even though they paid for it, I it's entertainment. I like them. Well, there's a lot to like in the next match here. Randy Orton's cutting a promo that's interspersed with clips of his feud with Mick Foley, which was obviously going to be a talk moving forward. Uh, I can't wait for us to cover that in more detail one day. Orton is flanked by Batista and Ric Flair on either side. They're all wearing suits. Orton skips the tie though. And they're really just trying to set the stage for the match later, which is going to be, um, I mean, a really, really big deal when you've got Ric Flair and you've got Batista and Randy Orton and Mick Foley and the rock all in the same match. That's all the star power you would need. Contrast that with La resistance, Garrison Cade, Mark Jindrak. Uh, here we go. Booker T and Rob Van Dam and the Dudley boys. They're going to go nearly eight minutes for the WWE tag team titles and Booker T and Rob Van Dam are going to retain here. Wade would say the problem with 14 matches is that the format is usually an indication that there isn't going to be uh, a great over feud between two teams. So let's just throw four in there together and see what we can do. And he kind of thinks that's the case here. Uh, he says it's not really going to uh, build any long-term storylines, but you know, it is what it is. Star in three quarters, Booker hits a scissor kick. RVD hits a frog splash, scores the pin. He would classify it as okay for what it was. What, what say you? Well, I, I think this is an example sometimes of getting guys on the card, making sure as many talent as you can get on the card can get on the card. So instead of just having a straight up tag team match, you add another two tag teams. I'm not, I'm just not a fan of, I, I hate four corner matches and, and especially when it is a tag team match because the, it's illogical if you want to win the match to tag out to someone else. And that just, that logic will, will never uh, really be explained to me, but People seem to like them. Uh, I just, I'm not one of them. So I think it was just an order of getting more people on the pay-per-view and getting more guys on the WrestleMania card itself. Because when you look at it individually and you look at Booker T and Van Dam against the Dudleys or any one of those guys against La Resistance and uh, Caden Jindrak, they could have a decent match. Put all four of them in there together and it's a hodgepodge and it can be... Uh, confusing at best. Well, this is a little confusing because coach is wandering around in the back, looking for the undertaker and he hears some noises behind a door. And then all of a sudden mean Gene walks out and he's got lipstick on his forehead. 
A few seconds later, Bobby Heenan comes out and says they're playing poker, but he's got lipstick all over his face too. And like Mean Gene appears a little disheveled, shall we say. Eventually, of course, Mae Young comes out, starts making out with Bobby Heenan. Fabulous Moolah comes out. She starts kissing on Okerlund and the ladies drag the guys back into the room. Fun skit here. Uh, what, what do you remember about Heenan, Okerlund, Mae Young, Moolah? None of them are with us anymore, but what a fun moment this was. Yeah, it was because you gave the impression what the hell is going on in there. And it was having Okerlund do traditional Gene Okerlund stuff is always going to be classic along with Bobby Heenan, just with the cells and what have you got to see some of those old timers that you hadn't seen in a while. And it was fun. So also adding Moolah May, <laughs> that was, that was our bonus because we got to put them in the pay-per-view and always come up with some kind of fun thing for them to do. Here's something fun. Christian and Jericho are going to go nearly 15 minutes. They have a three-star match. Uh, it's a very good angle. Trish is in the middle of it. It's been built up for the past few weeks where Jericho and Trish look like they're about to start an on-screen relationship. And then uh, a few times when Chris would try to tell Trish how he was feeling about her, Christian would accidentally on purpose interrupt them. Uh, they have a series of near falls towards the end. And then Christian would drag Trish into the ring. Jericho immediately clotheslines Christian out of the ring. And then Jericho reaches down to help Trish, but Trish seemingly thought it was Christian and elbows him. Christian gets back in the ring, rolls up Jericho, scores the pin with a handful of tights and a fun little post-match twist because Trish is asking Jericho for forgiveness. And then Christian returns to the ring. Jericho is going to go after him, but Trish slaps and punches him in the face. And then she slapped Jericho. So Christian enters the ring, gives Jericho his finisher and the whole demeanor changed from sweet Trish to, as Wade would say, mean and slutty in a matter of a few seconds. She trash talked Jericho with a shit eating grin. And then Christian grabs her by the hair and makes out with her and Lawler screams, oh my God. And Jericho looks on with a broken heart. What'd you think of the match? What'd you think of the post-match? Lots of uh, wrestling here, but some good storyline, too. Uh, Wade gave it three stars. Well, first of all, I thought the match was excellent. I thought these, they worked great together, and they, they always have. So it's good chemistry between two Canadians and two friends that really enjoy working with one another. So that part of it was good, and the aftermath was the culmination of a story that I don't think anybody, even us, for a long time thought that we were going to get to. So anytime you can get the audience and go, oh, shit, I didn't see that one coming. That's a good day at the office. Lillian Garcia is going to interview The Rock and Mick Foley backstage. And, of course, Rock steals the show, including telling Lillian not to look at his package because the buffet is closed. He says hello to Magnificent Don Morocco, Jimmy Snuka, Hurricane, and Rosie. And he says he's home. And although fans are buying that less and less coming from the, this is from the torch, Mr. Can't mention WrestleMania on the tonight show three days before the pay-per-view. I find it funny that Wade took great issue with that. When, when rock was on the tonight show, were you guys disappointed that he didn't plug WrestleMania? Yeah, we were. Um, but at the same time, sometimes 
just the exposure in and of itself is going to get people talking and talking about what he's doing, looking him up and seeing where he's going to be. But a different time, different place. And that's where it comes in. As I said earlier about some of the people out in Hollywood and some of the people in rock's ear telling, ah, you got to distance yourself. You know, when you're on there to plug a movie, you're on there to plug a project, you've got to leave that out. And that was during a confusing time for him. What'd you think of this promo that he does with uh, Foley and Lillian Garcia? I mean, he really does prove he's the best of all time on the mic here. Does he not? Absolutely. And it was always good. If you give rock a foil and then someone like Lillian that is, you know, people like, and he gets to talk about his strudel and things like that. Yeah. Very entertaining. So let's talk about the match itself. Uh, that's next. And this is, uh, one of the matches that people still talk about. Um, Foley was disappointed with it. It gets three and a quarter stars. They go 17 minutes and nine seconds. Ultimately evolution gets the win over Mick Foley and the rock when Orton pins Foley at 17 minutes and nine seconds. Um, I thought the match was fun, but Foley has written about and been very open about. He wasn't happy with the match and he asked Austin what he thought about it. And Austin was honest with him and said, he didn't think it was that great, but I thought the match was fun, you know, especially when, you know, they're doing lots of comedy stuff, you know, the flair doing the, the strut and then rock mocking it with his version of the strut. I mean, this is fun stuff. I still look back at this and, and, and remember it fondly. Exactly. And that is what it was meant to be. This was meant to be kind of in a lot of ways some nostalgia match, but you got, you got rock back doing entertaining stuff. You've got Ric Flair in the match and everybody's having fun. This wasn't a serious heated. Oh my God. You know, I've, I've got to go out and kill them and have a 900,000 star match. This was, let's go out and entertain people. And that's what they did. They went out and they told a good story based on the story they'd been telling on television and the audience ate it up. So, as a performer, sometimes you have an idea what you think something should be. And if it doesn't meet your criteria for what you wanted it to be, then it sucked when it doesn't really. And sometimes you think it's great, but you know what? Sometimes it really sucks. The finish is actually pretty good. Um, the crowd is, is up and down They're way all over for this, which is good. Uh, they're super into it. The rock gives the hot tag to Foley at about 16 minutes and 20 seconds. Foley, um, gets the double arm DDT and he pulls out, uh, Mr. Sacco and he's going to give it to Orton, but Orton gives Foley an RKO for the three count. And then Foley sits in the center of the ring upset by his loss. He seems stunned. Rock is upset too with the loss. But when Foley finally stands back up, this New York crowd is with him, man. They're chanting Foley, Foley, and rock leads the crowd in giving Foley a standing ovation. Cause I think a lot of people, you know, forget that this is his return to in-ring action. He had retired and he's coming out for this match at WrestleMania with the rock against evolution and the rocks coming back from Hollywood. So this is a big moment and, um, it feels like a special moment. But then they very it was a special moment, but they sort of almost abruptly cut to a hall of fame induction ceremony piece of footage. I don't know. It just feels like 
they could have let it linger here a little longer. It was a, it was a fun moment though. And I wish that people didn't shit on it as much as they do. Wade didn't hate it. He gave it three and a quarter stars. Well, again, it's evidence of the New York crowd when the New York crowd appreciated it, which they did, you know, they give a guy a standing ovation and they did enjoy it overall. I think that the audience at home enjoyed it just as much and not as critical. The uh, clips of this hall of fame banquet are really something else. Heenan is breaking down when he says he wishes monsoon was here and he kisses the sky in honor of monsoon and just a cool moment, especially given, you know, that we've just recently lost Bobby Heenan as well. The Oh four hall of fame class was Bobby Heenan, big John stud, Don Morocco, Greg Valentine, Harley race, Jesse Ventura, junkyard dog, Sergeant slaughter, superstar, Billy Graham, Tito Santana, and Pete Rose. That's a hell of a crowd. Is it not? It sure as hell is, man. When you think about it, um, I guess really with the exception of Harley race and, and Billy Graham and Pete Rose. Okay. Made more exceptions. Than I thought, but so many of those guys were instrumental in that first WrestleMania and New York and the expansion of the WWF back in the day. So when Vince really started the, the big expansion and going globally, that so many of these guys were a big part of it. Heenan, Stud, Morocco, Valentine, Jesse, Dog, Sarge, Tito. Um, they were a big part of that that core. Plus, you add in superstar Billy Graham, Harley Race, who were mega stars in the 70s for Vince's father in New York and in Madison Square Garden. And to me, that's what I, I love it when it works out that way. When it fits the location, it fits the city, everything else, I think that's pretty damn cool. Let's talk about the ladies' match next. It's Tori and Sable. They get a win over Stacy and Jackie Gata. They go two minutes and 41 seconds. Uh, everybody's stripping off everybody's clothes. Everybody's rubbing their crotches in each other's faces. Uh, Wade would say this is a healthy dose of TNA without being embarrassing in terms of the wrestling. Tori and Sable gave each other a little peck as they walked to the stage. He gives it a half a star. Tori and Sable, of course, get the win. Uh, what'd you think of the match? Uh, it's sort of just there. Is it not? Yeah. <laughs> You're glad when it's over nice little addition to the card, but it, it wasn't, uh, by any stretch of the imagination one that you're going to go. Oh my God. Did you see that? They next up, they show clips of fans in the lobby of Madison square garden. And most of the clips are of people who have European accents or just, you know, not New York accents. And they're all talking about how far they've traveled to come to the show and how excited they are to be a part of WrestleMania. Keller makes a great point here in the torch when he says they couldn't have paid and scripted anyone to endorse the WWE's products, international appeal better than those fans did. I mean, it is, it's true, man. People come from all over and, um, why not shoot it and brag about it? Right? No shit. I think that was dude, dude, dude. Hey, I couldn't understand damn word. They people saying me in the whole lobby. Well, I came up and they fought in that. Yeah, Michael, hey, hey well, I wish they'd just speak English. They were speaking English, Michael, the King's English. But uh, it is great when you have 
so many people, like I said, all over the world, man, literally from 40 different countries that descend in one place at one time for one event. That's cool as shit. So, yeah, we would capture that, and they, they still do it to this day. I think with that win, Sable may have become the first woman to ever win three matches at WrestleMania, 14, 15, and 20. Pretty impressive considering she wasn't even really supposed to be a wrestler. Uh, backstage, we would see Eddie Guerrero with the WWE title over his shoulder. Greek Chris Benoit, who's pacing backstage. And Guerrero tells him he shouldn't feel pressure because, quote, nobody expects you to win. And Benoit screams, I believe in me, and that's all that matters. And he says, tonight's the night. And Guerrero smiles and says, that's what I've been trying to get out of you. That's the Wolverine that I took on in Japan years ago. The Wolverine who's going to tear Triple H apart and walk out with the world heavyweight title. And he, and he adds, I believe Chris, a very good backstage promo. People, you know, talk about the end of the night more so than this, but this was a cool little, uh, teaser for what was to come. It was, and it was revisiting when Eddie and Chris came into the company as the radicals. They were friends and we, we separated them and they each went in their different directions. We're on different brands. So it was nice to see them back together and people love that. They'd love that dynamic of Eddie and Chris. Man, this next match is wild. We've got Chavo Guerrero in an elimination match with Jamie Noble, Tajiri, Funaki, Nunzio, Ultimo Dragon, Kidman, uh, Akio, Rey Mysterio, and Shannon Moore. This is for the cruiserweight title. And the rules are the two wrestlers enter the ring. And once the pinfall takes place, another wrestler enters. And Chavo Guerrero automatically gets position number 10. So for all of his complaining about having to defend against nine other wrestlers, he actually only has to defend against one other wrestler who's already had to fight at least another wrestler. The most notable thing about this match though, is fans online. were talking about the fact that Ultimo dragon tripped on his Cape on the entrance. Um, what do you remember about the match Ultimo's slip up? And is this really fair that these guys, you know, with all of these dudes, have 10 minutes and 38 seconds before Chavo just retains. It's WrestleMania and it's, you get on the card and sometimes you may not have all the time in the world, but for the audience, they get to see all of these guys and, and compete short or not. So here's your choice. You can go out and you can do a 10 minute match or you can do no match. There you go. But it, I do, God, I remember uh, Ultimo Dragon, everyone hit. And this was this was during a time Ultimo Dragon was not the same Ultimo Dragon that he, he was 10, 15 years before. So for him coming in, he was more into his training people in Mexico City at his school than being the Ultimo Dragon of old. And I don't think that the exception of a few people who read dirt sheets and bullshit like that. No one really cared. He was a guy in a mask that I had no idea who he was or what he was about, but I enjoyed the match because it was fast paced and it was, it was a gimmick. It is a gimmick. Um, the, the, the match got negative one star in the torch, uh, quote, why damage the credibility of the wrestlers and cheapen the meaning of pinfalls just to fit everyone on the pay-per-view for a disrespectful 32nd cameo in the ring. 
you've already said your piece about that, but boy, I can't wait for your take on this next one. This is the match. Everybody loves to shit on from this show. It's bill Goldberg. It's Brock Lesnar and Steve Austin is your referee. It gets a star and a half, but the real story is the way the crowd reacts to this. Austin drives to the ring on his ATV. Lesnar's out first, then Goldberg, and they're doing their best to call it Jr. and Lawler. Uh, Jr. saying this is a genuine battle of the bulls. They're yelling at each other. They're mocking each other. They're doing, um, lots of, I don't know, trying to get the crowd into it, but the crowd turns fast and the boring chants come pouring in very loudly. Goldberg smiling and Ross is saying on air, he'll never understand when fans do that. And he's trying to do what he can to bring it back in, but the crowd is just overwhelming. There's a Goldberg sucks chant. There's a, you sold out chant. I mean, there's just a lot going on here. Um, ultimately Goldberg hits a spear and he plays to the crowd. The crowd's booing him. He's not happy about it. He follows with a jackhammer. He gets a clean pin and Austin clearly wants nothing to do with this shit show at all. And just wants it to be over. Goldberg stands on the ropes to celebrate, but doesn't get much of a reaction. Lesler Lesnar's slow to rise to his feet. Austin's staring him down and more. You sold out chance. Now the Hey, 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 goodbye song. Uh, Lesnar even looks like he's about to cry and then gives the crowd two middle fingers. He turns and gives Austin two middle fingers. And then Austin gave him a stunner and two middle fingers. And he tosses Goldberg a beer. Goldberg doesn't even try to grab it. The crowd boos. He throws him another beer and he catches it. So they drink a little beer and then Austin gives Goldberg the stunner and Keller would write. That's how you book a post-match angle that gets over Austin and not the two departing wrestlers. When Austin left the ring, another beer was tossed his bay, uh, tossed his way and it hit him on the side of the face and he recovered. So, and, uh, drives his ATV to the back. So not a very memorable WrestleMania match, but more of a memorable WrestleMania moment. Maybe when the crowd took over. And then Austin did what everybody in the crowd wanted him to middle fingers, stunners and beer. What a fucking mess. I I need to know where where you were when you watched this, what Vince's reaction was, what the guys thought when they came back through the curtain, what can you share? I was sitting at the, um, audio desk in the arena and just thinking to myself, like, you know, holy God, because you you felt it. I mean, obviously, you could think you could feel it at home. The audience knew what was going on. Both guys had been very public that they were leaving. And all the audience wanted, the only thing that they wanted, in my opinion, at this point, was they wanted Steve to kick both their asses. Because Steve wasn't going anywhere. And he was their guy. So it just... The crowd wanted it to be over. They wa- they wanted their opportunity to do the you sold out stuff and basically boo them out of the building. I don't know if Brock and Goldberg really expected it to be as bad as it was. I think Brock did. I think Brock knew exactly what was going to happen when he went out there. But I don't think that they thought it would happen to Goldberg. And, you know, Bill has a way 
when he just the way he looks is, is kind of like I don't care. And that audience felt it. They were like, "Fuck you too." They, they just wanted them out. You don't want to be here. We don't want you. Go. And that was the feeling I got. It was it was painful to watch. It was very painful to watch in the arena because you sat there going, "Oh God," you feel for them. And uh, I was just happy when it was over. It's been said that Goldberg won because Vince was more upset than with Lesnar than Goldberg. Is that silly? Well, tell us why Goldberg won. Yes, that's silly. It's what do you do? You got two guys leaving, put the baby face over, have a happy finish. Do you think that Vince was obviously he tried the Goldberg experiment. It wasn't working out. It was probably disappointing for both sides. Is that fair to say? It was disappointing for everybody. Yes. Yeah. So it's probably got lesser two evils. Well, what I'm saying is it probably hurts him, uh, a little more that Lesnar wants to leave. And allegedly Brock told Vince, he was quitting 12 days before WrestleMania. Uh, what can you tell us about that? He wanted to go play football and he was adamant about it. There wasn't any talking him out of that decision. So you, okay. Move on. I don't, you know, doesn't want to be here. He's not going to work. Doesn't want to be here to do this. Then we'll do something else, but he's not going to sit there and waste time and energy trying to talk someone into doing something they don't want to do. Talk to me a little bit about the release. Had you guys already negotiated the terms of release at this point, or you just knew he wanted to go home, but you didn't really have all that worked out yet. Cause WrestleMania was priority. It was just, let's get through WrestleMania and then we'll figure it out. I didn't, I had no idea what they did on that. That was with, with him and talent relations. And I have absolutely less than zero idea as far as what they worked out other than he was leaving. I knew he was leaving and didn't really give a shit about the rest of it. I didn't care what the terms of his contract were or anything else. When you're told, okay, all the creative you have and everything that you're doing going forward with Brock is no more. So you go, okay, come up with something new, come up with something else. Wade, Wade would write Brock is under contract to WWE for at least five more years. And that puts WWE in the power position when negotiating his release, the details haven't been worked out yet, but it's expected Lesnar will get a conditional release. Lesnar who dropped Barry Bloom as his agent after Bloom got his, him, his original WWE contract may wish he had the savvy and experienced agent negotiating for him at this time. It's likely WWE will prohibit him from working for any other pro wrestling or shoot fighting organizations for the remainder of his term with a non-compete written into that release. Many within WWE believe he will return if his NFL deal doesn't work out, especially since financially he isn't quote set for life. As many have assumed Lesnar has spent money the past few years based on believing he was guaranteed five years of high six figure downside guarantees. Now that he's walking out on those future earnings, the money he spent on toys like snowmobiles and expensive cars, doesn't seem as wise as it once did. He's also spent a considerable amount of money on real estate rather than safer long-term investments. Do you remember there being conversation internally? Like, well, this NFL shit's a pipe dream. He didn't play in college. He'll be back. I think there was a feeling that he would be back and 
It is true. Yeah, he didn't he didn't play in college, so I think everyone thought that what's he thinking? How how does he come to the conclusion that he's just going to be able to walk on and and play football? He'll be back. That was a general feeling, but at the time, I didn't care because <laughs> I didn't have him anymore. So um, next, good luck to you, buddy. Um, just didn't. <sighs> You, especially around WrestleMania season when it is so crazy and somebody throws a monkey wrench into plans, got to go. I do want to mention too, that, uh, Wade would write, considering all the circumstances, including the tension between Lesnar and management in recent weeks, they are separating on good terms. There isn't overt bitterness on either side. Instead, it's a mutual agreement that Lesnar couldn't go on the way things were. WWE management is upset with Lesnar, but they also understand that he isn't making this decision lightly. He tried to make things better for himself by buying himself an airplane to travel to shows. It just wasn't enough. His anxiety was boiling over. If the travel schedule for the company wasn't for him, then there's nothing he can really do about it. WWE doesn't want someone working for them who is miserable. Is that uh, an accurate uh, summary from Wade Keller? Yeah, pretty much. Let's keep it going here. Yeah, Let's it's... talk about Rikishi and Scotty Too Hotty. They get a win over the Bashams and Charlie Haas and Shelton Benjamin and the APA. They go six minutes here and uh, retain the World Tag Team titles. It's sudden death, meaning the first team to score a pinfall or submission wins the tag title. It only gets one star. Once again, this feels like, uh, the tag match we ran through earlier. Let's just throw all the tag teams in there at once and just get everybody on and get them a payday. Is that the, is that the same? Short idea pain, yeah. Short, painful and glad it's over. Next up, we get a promo airing for the returning edge. He's coming off of uh, neck surgery, which had him sidelined for quite a while, but we're getting people hyped up. And next we see Jesse Ventura walk out to the ring. And Jesse says, what would WrestleMania be without Jesse coming out and doing an interview with somebody? Where's my man? Who am I looking for out here to interview? It's the star of the number one rated TV show on NBC, the apprentice Donald Trump and Ventura walks to ringside and interviews him in the front row. And of course he compliments his hair and, uh, he asked Trump if he ran for office again, if he'd have his moral and financial support and Trump said for sure. And Ventura jokes, maybe they need a pro wrestler in the office in 2008, talking about the presidency. It gets a half-hearted pop, but it is kind of ironic given where we are now. What do you remember about Jesse this day and any memories of uh, Trump here? Well, whenever we were, it always seemed like if we were in a nice location, uh, Donald would come to the live events and he would come to WrestleManias. So Donald was a friend and he was, especially in New York, man, he was a big deal. And it was, it was always nice to see him and, and nice to do stuff with him. He enjoyed it. He got the business and loved any opportunity that he could to, to promote himself. So it was, I never had a problem with the guy. Next up, we've got Victoria and Molly Holly. They're going to go about five minutes. Victoria gets the win here. Uh, it only gets one star. Um, the match is okay, but I, I wouldn't say that this is either of their best matches, but 
what people remember is after the match, a shocked Molly Holly would attack Victoria and try to shave her head. Victoria fends her off with hairspray. And then she straps in Molly to the chair. And then Victoria shaved her head with a clipper. So she's got a crew cut. Wow. We're shaving chicks heads on pay-per-view here. How did we get here? Whose idea was this? Was anybody against it? I mean, what does it sound like when you even pitch this to Molly Holly? Molly pitched it to us. It was her idea. So that she would look different and be different, be able to stand out amongst the, the women's division. So I loved it for all of those exact same reasons. Hypothetically, what if she didn't pitch it and Vince did? What would that sound like? God damn it. I want that hair. Here's what we're looking at. You're going to be bald, bald, like a smooth little baby's butt. Yeah. She liked it. She kept it that way for a while. Before they finish, they cut to Taz and Michael Cole previewing the Guerrero Kurt Angle title match. And let's get to it. Eddie Guerrero, Kurt Angle. We're going to go 20 minutes and 30 seconds, 21 minutes and 30 seconds, rather. It gets four and a quarter stars. The finish is really incredible, where um, they're trying to get Eddie Guerrero locked into the ankle lock, and the boot comes loose. And Angle's surprised. That allows Guerrero to roll him up for the three count. And uh, it was really, really a fun finish. I don't think I'd ever seen it before. Four and a quarter stars. Fans are into it. Let's go, Angle. Angle sucks. Dueling chance here. Really, really two of the best of all time. I loved it. What'd you think? Absolute masterpiece. And uh, hats off to Eddie Guerrero and Kurt Angle for coming up with it. The the way that they did it with Eddie unlacing his boot the entire time, every time that Kurt would put the ankle lock on him, Eddie would unlace his boot. Now people, we told the story throughout the show that Eddie's unlacing his boot. Maybe the, the ankle lock is taking his toll on the ankle. He's trying to release some of that when the whole time it was, okay, when you get that ankle lock, I'm kicking out, you're going to have a boot and I'm going to beat you. Just pure genius in my opinion. And one of the best, WrestleMania matches I've ever seen. Well, not one of the best WrestleMania matches you've ever seen is the next one. Undertaker and Kane, <laughs> a little under seven minutes. Uh, it gets two stars in the torch. Uh, Kane's out first and they've got this cool New York set here for this one. And I do at least appreciate the undertakers, um, entrance here. And Lawler is, is screaming. Kane was wrong. The undertaker isn't dead and Kane's crying. I killed you. You're not real. The fans are chanting for undertaker. It's the return of the dead man. Big moment in undertaker's career. Uh, I thought it was what it was, but probably not their best match, especially in a no win scenario where you have to follow Eddie Guerrero and Kurt angle. what did you think of the match and the story leading up to it? Well, the audience was ready for the return of the dead man, and they really wanted to see Undertaker back. That was that was the beauty of it, and that was where the payoff was. The match really wasn't the payoff. The entrance was the payoff. Paul Bearer was part of that payoff. And we, we talked about it in the Undertaker episode. It was 
not a great match. I don't know that on the big stage that Kane and Undertaker ever really had any great matches, but it was the spectacle and it was the allure of the return of the guy that they loved from the American badass back to the dead man, the Undertaker. So that part was cool to me, and that was something that everyone enjoyed and was able to to kind of get behind and that was the that was the story much more so than the match and to that end i think it was successful next up we've got the main event and what a match it was man it's a three-way chris benoit triple h sean michaels for the world heavyweight title they got 24 minutes and seven seconds Uh, it's probably one of the best three-way matches in history Uh, Wade gave it five stars. It's hard to argue that it tells such a phenomenal story. And, uh, the finish is something else. Uh, Hunter is reaching for the rope. Of course he's, uh, in Chris Benoit's crippler crossface. The fans are going wild. Hunter can't reach that rope. He starts fading. He manages to reverse out of it, but Benoit immediately reapplies it and Hunter taps out and the crowd pops huge. The referee hands Benoit the belt. He starts crying with the heavyweight title. He stands, holds it in the air, and Guerrero comes out and congratulates him. They hug. Eddie's crying too. Confetti's coming down from the ceiling. They're both holding their world titles. I mean, this is a phenomenal match, but the finishing sequence is just outstanding. And then the post-match visual here, unbelievable. And this is probably... One of JR's best moments as a commentator, you know, I've been pretty loud and proud about really preferring his WCW stuff, but Lord, he did a phenomenal job here. What'd you think of the match? Well, he also had a phenomenal match to work with. I thought the match was excellent. It told a great story and it got Benoit let everyone know in the building and all around the world that Benoit was guy to be reckoned with. And he was now a top guy. If Sean and Hunter both could have lost to him. Uh, I think they would have, and they argued over who should do the job and, and both wanted to do it. And if there was a way that Benoit could have beat them both, they probably would have gone for that. But it was beautiful. It's, it's a work of art. To, to go back in the, the two championship matches on this card, Eddie and Angle in this triple threat with Benoit, Hunter, and Sean, to me are two of the greatest matches in all of WrestleMania history. And this won't be popular, but they were better than the Randy Savage and Rick Steamboat match from WrestleMania three. It's just because of the story and the emotion, and I'm not taking anything away from Savage and Steamboat. These were just better as far as psychology, story, and feeling. And it could not have been done better in my opinion. Do you, do you know who put this one together? This feels like something Sean would have tried to lay out. I, I really, I don't remember, but it was, it was something that the three of them worked on for a while and had a lot of ideas. And this was, this was a lot of the talent that talked for a long time and, and came up with this masterpiece. It really is worth going out of your way to see, you know, I, I know we put over the Eddie Guerrero, Kurt Angle match, and I love that one. I think you should go watch it. But this main event, probably the best three-way in history. Let's get your opinion. We'd love to hear your recommendations. Tweet us on Twitter. Hit us up on Instagram at Pritchard show. 
tell us what three-way you thought was the best, because this has got to be near the top and what a visual it is afterwards to see these two guys, you know, who most thought maybe never had a shot at being in this spot, the, the top dog in WWE, they're too short. They're too small. They're not big enough, whatever. They don't have this. They don't have that. They overcame all of it. And it does feel like, uh, a new day in the WWE. When you've got these two guys as your world champs was, was Vince happy with the, the closing visual, these two guys in the ring and the confetti and all that ecstatic because it was a simple, it was a symbol of what's to come. What's next. So that was, it, it just was that visual of, okay, guys, here's, here's, who's going to lead us into the next chapter. Any sort of hesitation that you recall from either Sean or Hunter and, uh, Benoit being the man this night? No, not at all. I mean, they, everyone was for it and they felt that he deserved it is, is due to the work that he had done up at that point, they all loved his work and thought that with the right opponents in the right way, if you put them over in the right way, that he could be the man. A lot of conspiracy theorists would believe that someone, maybe Vince McMahon, maybe someone else didn't believe that Benoit had enough name value to main event of WrestleMania in a singles match. So maybe that's why they inserted Shawn Michaels into the mix. How would you respond to that criticism? I would say it was a much more attractive match with Sean in it. And it made it, it just made it more attractive and harder to predict. Historically, you've sort of poo-pooed three ways and four ways and all that and preferred just mono e mono. Why was this one the exception to the rule? I think because of the way that they because of the way that they put it together. It just was masterfully put together to where it was logical and it was logical the way that people were eliminated from the match to allow two guys to concentrate on their stuff. And it was in many ways, the template for future triple threats to pattern themselves after. I know Vince is probably the type of guy who, if he was forced to answer, Hey, what's your favorite WrestleMania? He would probably always say the next one, just because he's all, you know, the train keeps moving. Where do you think at the time, I'm not saying since then, where would WrestleMania 20 have ranked for him on at the end of that show that night? Um, probably number three. Yeah. I'd go WrestleMania one 17 and 20. So you'd say it was bigger than three or, or WrestleMania three. No, number four. Yeah. It'd be, it'd be, it would be one, three, 17, 20. It's just cool to hear you know, what you think his opinion would be, where would you have ranked at the time? Not counting since same now that, you know, all these matches have happened since, you know, 21 through 34. Now, where does WrestleMania 20 stack up for you now? Still number four. Yeah. Out of all, I would probably go number. I would probably go, go three, 17, 20 and one. But is, one's, I mean, one's the start. So right. I mean, it was special in, in other ways. This is, I think the first time a WrestleMania main event ended in a submission. Um, do you think ending in a submission rather than a pinfall takes anything away? I know that Tony Schiavone has been pretty vocal that he thinks a submission doesn't get the big pop that a pinfall does. Do you think that the, the crippler crossface had been built enough here to where that was the exception, or do you just totally disagree with Tony's assessment? I say go back and watch that match, and you tell me that place 
came unglued. So I, I think it was as effective, if not more effective. Uh, was whose idea was it for Eddie to come down after the match? God, I think it was a lot of ours. I think everybody just felt that that was a kind of cool thing to do. So you end with that picture of, Hey folks, here's your leaders. Here's the guys taking you to the next level. And, uh, let's go. It's a new chapter, new book. Tune in on Monday. Uh, talk to me about, uh, Chris, did Chris know that Eddie was coming or was that, was that spontaneous to him? I think it was spontaneous to him. I don't know if he knew or not, but, uh, we knew we had Eddie there to go on out and make sure that, uh, everybody was there. We didn't talk much about Kurt angle, but the rumor and innuendo is that Kurt was hurting pretty bad coming into that match and had some numbness in his fingers. And we've touched on that before. What was his physical state heading into WrestleMania? Did he have any problem putting over Eddie? Uh, was he a proud supporter here? Tear, carry me through sort of the, yeah. the physical and, and mental mindset of Kurt for this show. Well, first of all, Kurt Angle had zero problem putting over Eddie Guerrero. He was happy to do it, and he was happy to, to give him the best match and, and do the best that he could. Again, guys saying, oh, I don't want to put this guy over. First of all, they have no say. They do have a say, but they don't have a say. And it's it's an honor to put someone over. And if you can get them to the next level, and that's how Kurt looked at it. I don't remember WrestleMania 20 specific, what shape Kurt was in, but you could tell, you certainly couldn't tell that there was anything wrong with him in that match. So I, I'm not really sure about that because it was, man, he's a machine. He's a cyborg. Well, it was uh, quite the special show, and uh, I can't recommend that everybody go watch this one enough. There's lots of fun stuff on the undercard. I really enjoyed the Rock Foley match, and the Eddie Guerrero match is just outstanding. But the main event, where would you rank it? All time WrestleMania main events. Well, I look at uh, I look at it as a double main event with the two championship matches, and I would say that it. I mean, laugh, but yeah, it's, it's definitely in the top five from, from Hogan and Andre and, uh, Steven rock to, I'm putting both of those matches in the main event category as far as the, the match quality themselves and where it took us after that, well, where we're taking Probably you three or four, where we're taking you after this week is in our way back machine. We talked about WrestleMania 20 in Madison square garden. Next up, we're going to talk about WrestleMania 10 in Madison Square Garden. Stay tuned. We're also finally going to get to WrestleMania 17, which is one of our most requested shows ever. King Kong Bundy's coming your way. Michael P.S. Hayes is coming your way. Stone Cold Steve Austin's 1998 is on tap. Uh, This is going to be a run for the ages here on Something to Wrestle. We appreciate your support and glad you're along for the ride. And we want to apologize again for Bruce sounding a little different this week. He's not at home in his studio. Instead, he's in Stanford, Connecticut. And uh, with his new role with the company, this is unfortunately going to be what we have to deal with every now and again. And we appreciate your uh, patience and support and hope you enjoyed this show as much as we enjoyed doing it for you. And we would love to see you the Monday after WrestleMania with good old JR and Bruce Pritchard on the stage, probably for the last time. Tickets are on sale now at brucepritchard.com. And don't forget, Bruce is going to be coming your way down to Australia 
and we're making it happen, man. We're really excited that he's going to be there. Tickets are on sale now at brucepritchard.com. Don't you dare miss it. In the meantime, he is at Bruce Pritchard. I am at Hey Hey, it's Conrad, and we are out of time. Hit it, Bruce. Shakacon. John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round. Together, it's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on. Right? How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra driver? I think I can get an extra 5 to 10. What if I give you 15 to 20? <laughs> you pay me more. Jeff Smith right? teaches on a sliding scale. <laughs> those weekend golf guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen.